In beer and wine production, enzymes in yeast aid the conversion of sugar into ethanol. Enzymes are used in cheesemaking to degrade proteins in milk, changing their solubility and causing those proteins to precipitate. Many industrial processes, ranging from fruit juice production to paper production to biofuel production, use enzymes. And in this video, you'll see that understanding how enzymes catalyze reactions can help us design better therapeutics. This video is part of the Differential Equations video series. Laws that govern a system's properties can be modeled using differential equations. Hi, my name is Kristen Van Vliet, and I am a professor in the Material Science and Engineering and the Biological Engineering Departments at MIT. Now, in order to understand the topic of this video, you should be familiar with a few things. For example, determining rate laws from experimental data, predicting rate laws from proposed chemical reaction mechanisms, and also have some basic understanding of the effects of catalysts on the kinetics of a reaction. And after watching today's video, you will be able to explain how enzymes affect the rates of reactions. After some practice, you'll be able to derive a rate law for a general enzyme-catalyzed reaction. The study of enzyme catalysis has been important for drug development because many drugs work by inhibiting an enzyme. For example, the enzymes thought to be important for the survival and replication of the parasite that causes malaria are being explored as therapeutic targets. The parasites enter the red blood cells of the host and use proteases, proteins that degrade enzymes, to catalyze the degradation of the hemoglobin inside the red blood cells. Degrading hemoglobin because it's a protein yields amino acids, which can then be used by the parasite for its own protein synthesis. So protease inhibitors could help slow the degradation of hemoglobin, which would in turn slow the growth and reproduction of the malaria parasite. When a potential inhibitor is identified, kinetic data are used to evaluate its efficacy. Now, in order to understand how this can be done, let's start by describing the kinetics of a simpler case, that of an enzyme-catalyzed reaction without an inhibitor present. Then we'll think about what might happen if we throw an inhibitor into the mix. Now, first, a couple of biochemistry terms that you need to be familiar with. In biochemistry, a reactant is called a substrate. This is really just a matter of different fields using different terms, but it's important for you to be aware of this. Next, catalysts found in biological organisms are called enzymes. And textbooks frequently abbreviate substrate using the letter S and enzyme using the letter E. Now, how do enzymes work? If we look at a reaction coordinate, recall that the transition state represents a chemical species intermediate between the reactant, or the substrate in this case, and the product. The potential energy difference between the transition state and the reactants is the activation energy required for the forward reaction. And the potential energy difference between the transition state and the products is the activation energy for the reverse reaction. Now, only reactants with the energy to overcome the activation energy barrier will form the products. Like synthetic catalysts, enzymes accelerate the rates of reactions by stabilizing that transition state lowering its potential energy and also providing a new pathway by which the reaction can occur. This new reaction pathway has a lower activation energy than the uncatalyzed path, and that makes it more likely that a greater number of reactant molecules will have the energy needed to overcome that activation energy barrier and create a product. Enzymes facilitate reactions, but like other catalysts, are not consumed in that reaction. And enzymes are typically proteins, but RNA has also been shown to catalyze reactions. 
Now, while there are different theories about how enzymes work to catalyze reactions, there are a couple of things that are agreed upon. One is that enzymes have a region called an active site, and substrates bind to this region. The shape and chemistry of that active site determine the selectivity of the enzyme for particular substrates. The second point is that when a substrate binds to an enzyme, an enzyme-substrate complex is formed. This enzyme-substrate complex is a reaction intermediate, meaning that it is formed and it's consumed in the reaction, but it does not appear in the overall chemical equation. Now, for many enzyme-catalyzed reactions, if we were to measure the rate of reaction at various substrate concentrations, as shown here, we would see that the rate of reaction appears to follow first-order kinetics at low substrate concentrations, and then transitions to behavior that resembles zero-order kinetics at high substrate concentrations. Please pause the video here, turn to the person next to you, and discuss what it means for a reaction to be first-order or zero-order. Remember, in a first-order reaction, the reaction rate is directly proportional to the concentration of the substrate. And in a zero-order reaction, the reaction rate is constant as the reaction progresses and is unaffected by the substrate concentration. So if we look at these data, we see that for a given enzyme concentration, the addition of the substrate above a certain value has no effect on the rate of the reaction. So let's think about what reaction mechanism might explain these data. Some scientists hypothesize that after an enzyme and substrate combine to form the enzyme-substrate complex, this complex yields the product and then degrades to regenerate free enzyme. Does the rate law derived from this reaction mechanism fit the experimental data we just saw? Let's derive the rate law and see. We can derive this rate law just as we would for other chemical systems. Remember, each step of a reaction mechanism is assumed to be an elementary reaction. Please pause the video here, turn to the person next to you, and to discuss how you determine the rate law for an elementary reaction. Remember, for an elementary reaction, you can predict the rate law from the chemical equation. With this in mind, can you now write a differential equation for the rate of product formation with time? Please pause the video here and try to write that equation, and then continue playing the video to see if you're correct. From the second step of the reaction mechanism, we can write that the rate of the formation of the product is equal to the rate constant K2 multiplied by the concentration of our enzyme-substrate complex. The enzyme-substrate complex is a reaction intermediate, remember, and it's not something that is easily measured in our experiments. So if that's the case, how can we verify if this expression is correct? It would be nice to restate this rate in terms of quantities that are more easily measured in the laboratory, such as the substrate concentration and the initial enzyme concentration. To get an expression for the concentration of the enzyme-substrate complex, now let's write a differential equation for the net rate of change 
of the enzyme substrate complex concentration with time. We'll call that DESDT. Please pause the video here, try to write that differential equation, and then continue playing the video to see if you are correct. If we want to write an expression for DESDT, we see that in the first step of our mechanism, the enzyme substrate complex is produced in the forward direction and consumed in the reverse direction. And then in the second step, the enzyme substrate complex is converted into product. So this equation introduces two additional unknowns, the free enzyme concentration and the substrate concentration. So we now need two additional equations in order to solve it. Can you write an equation for the rate of change of substrate concentration with time? Please pause the video here and try to write that differential equation. Then continue playing the video to see if you're correct. If we want to write an expression for dsdt, we see that the substrate will be consumed in the forward direction and produced in the reverse direction of the first step of the reaction mechanism. We still need one more equation. This equation will just be a simple relationship that says we know how much enzyme we added to our reaction mixture at time zero. So at any time, we know that the amount of free enzyme plus the amount of enzyme bound in that enzyme substrate complex should equal or sum to the initial amount that we added. And this could also be written in differential form as DEDT plus DESDT is equal to zero. So now we have a system of four ordinary differential equations with four variables that all depend on time. Equation one and equation four have analytic solutions. We can solve them symbolically, but equations two and three contain nonlinear terms. When you learn about differential equations in your future courses, you'll see why these equations are difficult to solve and that you will need numerical methods to solve them rather than analytical methods. Here, we've integrated these equations numerically using the boundary conditions that at time equals zero, the substrate concentration is S naught, the product concentration is zero, the enzyme concentration is E naught, and the concentration of enzyme bound to the substrate is zero. We see that after a short startup period, the concentration of enzyme bound to substrate remains approximately constant. In this region, where the substrate concentration is much greater than E naught, as enzyme is released from that enzyme substrate complex, it quickly recombines with available substrate. As more substrate is converted to product and the substrate concentration approaches E naught, the concentration of enzyme bound to substrate is no longer constant. Now in the regime where the substrate concentration is greater than E naught, we can make a steady state approximation and there we'll set DESDT equal to zero. This approximation will allow us to obtain an analytic expression for the concentration of enzyme bound to substrate. Setting DESDT equal to zero allows us to solve for the concentration of the enzyme substrate complex, which is equal to the rate constant K1 
times the concentration of free enzyme times the concentration of substrate divided by the sum of K minus 1 and K2. Now let's lump the rate constants into a new term we'll call Km and substitute this into our expression for the concentration of enzyme substrate complex. Now we can use this expression to rewrite dpdt. Let's try to eliminate the concentration of free enzyme from this expression entirely. We can use the enzyme balance that we wrote earlier, which said that the concentration of free enzyme plus the concentration of the enzyme substrate complex should equal that initial enzyme concentration that we controlled. So substituting our expression for the concentration of ES into the enzyme balance and doing a bit of algebra, we can solve for the concentration of free enzyme. And finally, we can substitute this into our equation for dpdt and obtain this expression. Now let's check this rate law against our experimental data. At low substrate concentration, this expression reduces to a first-order rate law. And at high substrate concentration, the expression reduces to a zero-order rate law. Now it turns out that the rate law that we just derived is called the Michaelis-Menten equation. To make our equation look more like the version of the Michaelis-Menten equation that you will see in most textbooks, there are a couple of terms that we will use because they're the convention in enzyme kinetics as opposed to general chemical reaction kinetics. So instead of saying dpdt is the rate of the reaction, we will call it the velocity of the reaction and we'll instead use the notation of V. Finally, we'll lump that term K2E0 into a term called Vmax. At high substrate concentration, the reaction velocity approaches Vmax. And then remember that lumped parameter Km? We can actually determine Km from experimental data. If we look at the substrate concentration needed to reach half of Vmax, we can see that the concentration of substrate required equals Km. And Km values for many enzyme substrate pairs can be found in the literature, and that allows us to compare various reactions and enzymes. You may be wondering why we went through all of this. So let's go back to our drug development example. Let's say you have now designed a new drug that you think will inhibit one of the proteases used by the malaria parasite to degrade hemoglobin. How will you test its effectiveness? So first, in the lab, you might add a fixed amount of protease to solutions of varying hemoglobin concentration in order to measure the reaction rates. Now let's say that this reaction follows the Michaelis-Menten kinetics well and that you're able to estimate Vmax and Km. Next, you go ahead and repeat this experiment, but this time you also add a fixed amount of your drug candidate to all of your solutions. So you get your rate data and you see that the apparent Vmax has decreased but what does this mean? Can you speculate how this particular inhibitor works? There's several possibilities. For example, is the drug interacting with the enzyme and preventing it from binding with the substrate? Or is the drug interacting with the enzyme substrate complex? Or is it something else entirely? So the thought process that you use today to derive the Michaelis-Menten equation can be used to derive rate laws for other reaction mechanisms as well. And then you can see which mechanism is best supported by your data to infer how your inhibitor is working.
Today, we learned a little bit about the importance of enzymes, and we derived a rate law from a general reaction mechanism using differential equations and a steady-state approximation. This rate law was compared against experimental rate data for an enzyme catalyzing the conversion of a substrate to a product. The equation that we derived is called the Michaelis-Menten equation. Now, while all enzyme-catalyzed reactions may not exhibit Michaelis-Menten kinetics, the same logic that you use to derive this equation can be used to derive rate laws for other proposed reaction mechanisms.